0: Good morning and welcome to SJL Daily. I'm Lisa Bond and our reading today covers Isaiah 44 and 45. Let's read a portion of Isaiah 45 starting in verse 5. This is a prophecy concerning Cyrus, whom God would use to release his people from captivity and allow them to return home. It reads, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me there is no God. I equip you. Though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Now, if you read chapters 44 and 45, it will be hard to miss this repeated phrase that God is driving home I am the Lord and there is no other. We might not think that this phrase is worth the repetition it gets. In other words, we think that we get it the first time. Sure, I know that He's the Lord and there's no other. So why the emphasis on what we see as a clear fact? Well, it speaks of God's uniqueness, His incomparable nature, to those who have trouble seeing it because their hearts had turned to other gods. In chapter 44, there's a long explanation of why it's foolish to practice idolatry. But because they were too blind to see it, God had it written out for them. Their idea of him was not only faulty, it was ridiculous because it put value on man-made, impotent, worthless, false gods. He not only spells out just why he is unique by noting that he forms light and darkness while being in calamity, but notice that this prophecy comes way before it actually happens. In other words, God knows the future. Now, a lot of people claim that they know the future, but only this incomparable God actually does. I am the Lord, and there is no other. What is your idea of God? A.W. Tozer wrote, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Is God truly unique and worthy of exclusive worship in our eyes? If we think of God as someone whom we can manage, if we say that we will worship Him only if we understand what He's doing and agree with it, then that would be exploiting Him and making Him into our image rather than the other way around. You might have heard people say, well, the God I worship wouldn't do that. But does that line up with how God is revealed in Scripture, whether it offends us or not? Dr. Stephen Lawson writes that we can be guilty of spray painting the masterpiece, so to speak, when it comes to our knowledge of God. And he points out different versions of him that we create, a celestial Santa Claus, a divine co-pilot, a heavenly repairman, a galactic grandfather, to name just a few. And then he closes his thoughts like this, to think of God in any way other than how he has disclosed himself in the full counsel of scripture is to be guilty of the sin of idolatry. Now we don't think we're guilty of idolatry, but we probably could use some correction because we often put our desire to learn about how to do things better and how to have a successful life over learning about this glorious God, his perfect character, how he works, what he desires. Think about this, what do we talk about more? How to be a better parent, how to have healthy relationships and lifestyles, how to not be so anxious, you know, how to cope with the ups and downs of life, or God himself, how good he is, how he's worked in our lives, how we've found him to be faithful. Both are clearly important, but which topic grabs us more? Where do our passions lie? We are so into self-improvement that we neglect learning about the one in whose image we are made and through the work of the Spirit are becoming. I am the Lord and there is no other. Do we know the one true God? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a God unlike any other. There was no one who compares to you. Help us to not be deceived by anything less, no matter how appealing it may seem. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.